uh, complex narratives of being taken by alien beings into UFOs on beams of light. The Air Force is trying to cover up with a picture of Venus and the moon. From my own point of view, I'm going to be very disappointed if UFOs turn out to be nothing more than visitors from another planet, because I think there could be something much more interesting. I'm not telling you that. The United States government is telling you that. Welcome back to Disclosure Team. Thank you guys for being here. This is a pre-recorded video, uh, so uh, no live chat today, guys. Um, I'm not going to waste any more time. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, this uh, guest today, Matt Ford, uh, is a friend. I consider him a friend. I've had the honor of appearing on his show, The Good Trouble Show. So without further ado, let me bring him in. Welcome, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, Vinny, I'm doing well, thanks. I was worried I was going to get punked and Mick West was going to show up on the screen <laughs> first. So it's nice to see your face. How are things across the pond? Everything is very good this side, and I would never do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> that would, it would be interesting. It would be a good laugh nonetheless. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, glad, glad, super glad to be here. And uh, yeah, it's an honor. I, I have to say this is the first time that I've been invited on as a guest. Usually I'm the one doing the the interviewing. So uh, I hope I don't mess this up. <laughs> uh, it's going to be fine. And, and I mentioned there in, in the brief intro that uh, I had the honor of appearing on the Good Trouble Show with yourself and Dan uh, last Thank year. Was that, 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 that was great. I really enjoyed that. And you've really made quite an impact in the time that you've been you know, visible in the UFO community, especially on UFO Twitter. And, you know, you've really done some great stuff. So, you know, I commend you on that. Um, and I suppose that leads into my first question. Um, in fact, before I go into that, let's take a little, let's take a step back. I'd love to know just a little bit of your brief background, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. So uh, let me start off. I am completely new to the whole uh, UAP UFO topic. I'm not a UAP UFO historian. I don't claim, claim to be. Uh, much of much of what I learn, I pick up by listening to podcasts, uh, you know, and p from people such as yourself. So, so it's really been a really been a, a great uh, a great um, a great way to kind of get myself up to speed on this topic. But I have a, a long way to go. Uh, so yeah, so I've uh, I've worked in the uh, in the television business for over twenty years uh, behind the camera. And uh, I guess uh, it was probably in about 20, uh, 2016, I decided to get into more of the politics end of things and formed a political action committee, Stand for Better, where we were producing content, mainly political ads, uh, supporting the Democratic Party. And uh, it was just kind of something I fell into. This, this happened during, the, during the, the COVID epidemic when things here in Hollywood were shut down and was a way to sort of uh, do what I felt was supported my, my political views. And, uh, and, and it was great. We, we quickly became the third largest uh, producer of political content uh, supporting uh, democratic causes on Twitter and uh, in other platforms secondarily. Uh, so, so that really grew. And one of the things that that, that uh, sort of opened the doors for were developing relationships 
with uh, folks on Capitol Hill. And, uh, and that was kind of, kind of the, the beginning of that. And it was really kind of the, before my interest in the, in the UAP subject. Um, where, where the UAP thing really began, so back in, back in the early 90s when I was in college, I had this sort of bizarre interest in U.S. and Russian nuclear policy and began studying it quite a bit. Uh, and it's always it's, was something of interest. The UAP side of things, or back then UFOs, of course, was something of interest that you know, started when I was about nine years old, when Close, in the Close Encounters of the Third, uh, Third Kind was released. And my interest in the UFO topic just kind of came and go, it came and went every you know, five, six years. And I remember what, what got me sort of back uh, interested in it again was I came across Leslie Keene's book. And I'm blanking on the title. You, you probably helped me uh, with that. But it was she had interviewed all of these, uh, these folks in the military that had uh, um, in- encounters with UAP. I'm blanking on the name. Do you remember? Uh, I can edit this out. I've got <laughs> it next to me. But it's UFOs, pilots, and generals and all that. Yeah, it was something like that. Right. So, uh, so I read that book and and I actually right yes yeah, so I read that book and I was like wow there you know truly is something to this and I think it was right around after that that I I picked up the John Mack book and that really kind of blew my mind um, so <clears throat> excuse me um, so fast forward probably early early two thousands and. Uh, as part of my interest in, in nuclear policies and then also UFO, I came across Robert Hastings' book, uh, UFO and Nukes. And that was something, again, I was like, wow, this is you know, really interesting stuff. Again, sort of shelved the UAP topic, uh, began producing uh, uh, political, political ads. And uh, I guess it would have been probably around this time last year that I decided, you know what, I really want to start looking into this again. And backing up a bit, actually, yeah, rewinding a bit, it was when I first heard about this uh, UAP report coming out of the ODNI back in, what was that, summer of of 2021, that was really what started it all, uh, or sort of reignited the fire of me being interested in this stuff. And and so uh, all of that developed and that report came out, and that right around that time when I decided to really start doing something about it, I decided I'm going to reach out to Robert Hastings and uh, see if he would be interested in, in chatting about the, the nuclear aspect of, of this. And that really kind of started the ball rolling, uh, did some extensive, extensive uh, telephone interviews with him that hopefully wow. I'll, I'll release. And, uh, and uh, not too long after, uh, interviewed uh, uh, Bob Salas, Robert, uh, uh, Captain Robert Salas, Bob Salas, and David Schindeli. And that really sort of was the beginning of, of all of that. And then, then at, at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm going to reach out to my contacts in, on Capitol Hill and see if they would be willing to talk. And that was where it sort of took off. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. And you mentioned there the, uh, the June 2021, the preliminary assessment on UAP. Did you have conversations about that specific assessment with any of your contacts on, on Capitol Hill? And, and, if, and if you did, or what was the kind of tone of it? What, or what were you getting from them? Was, was there genuine interest from them or, did it, or were they brushing it off like, like it was a bit crazy? 
No, so surprisingly enough, one of the things, so I, I think it, I had written a, an article for the debrief. Um, it might have been, my timeline gets a little bit screwy regarding the U.S. Air Force being, being silent on the whole issue. And my, my hypothesis for that was that it's mainly driven, to, driven by the, the history of UFOs interfering with our land-based strategic nuclear deterrent, what, what more of a reason for Air Force not to want to talk about it than that. And, um, and, and it, was, uh, it was either right, right before that or, or right after that that I reached – oh, sorry. I know I, I tend to jump around a bit. It's my it's ADD, fine, <laughs> my ADD <laughs> kicking in. <clears throat> So I'd written a I'd written a, an op-ed uh, for that uh, on that subject for the for the debrief, and at at that time I was for Twitter I was going for the illustrious blue check mark, and at that point before uh, Elon bought everything, one of the workarounds to getting your account verified, even though we were a really large account, was writing op-eds, and uh, so I asked uh, asked around in one of my private groups if anyone knew uh, a certain person in Congress and this uh, someone in my private group said, yeah, actually I'll introduce you to this uh, person's chief of staff. And, uh, and I uh, emailed this person and said, hey, I'm interested in writing an op-ed. Uh, would this particular lawmaker be interested in, in going on the record? And this, uh, the chief of staff set up a, a Zoom call. And when the Zoom call happened, I thought it was simply going to be, uh, you know, okay, what are you wanting to write about? You know, what, what are you wanting this person to talk about? Blah, blah, blah. So I hop on the call. It was uh, this uh, lawmaker's uh, comms person, uh, national, national security advisor, and then there was a third person who I'm not quite sure who it was. So I hop on the call and, you know, tell them who I am and what we do. And uh, I don't remember who it was on the call, said, okay, what do you want to know? And again, I was I was primed for just saying, oh, we just want to write a story about this, and was frankly caught very kind of unprepared, right. and uh, and said, okay, you know, uh, is th this is what was in the report? Is this really occurring? And 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 I'll I'll never forget it. But there were several things that we spoke about. It was about a ten minute long call. It was a, a voice only. There were no pictures. Right. Uh, but the, the main element that, that stuck out was that, yes, these things were real. It's considered a national security threat, uh, that they were being observed on our space-based platforms. And the thing that really kind of threw me the most, which was from the national security advisor, uh, this guy said, look, we may never understand where all of this stuff is coming from. And he, he wasn't, the discussion wasn't about a, a terrestrial source. Uh, so I, after that, I, I would say probably about, about a one to two day period, I was kind of in shock. I think it's one thing when, when you hear people on UFO Twitter talking, talking about it or on, you know, YouTube podcasts or, or, and you, you know, it's real. Um, yeah. but then to have somebody on Capitol Hill, uh, on this person's you know, uh, staff tell you that it is indeed real and that they're very much aware of it. Uh, at, that was a good bit of shock, to be honest. It took me a bit to, di to digest it. I can imagine that. And I, and I also imagine that 
they're saying this to you after having briefings as well, closed door briefings. So potentially seeing stuff that we, the public, haven't seen and, and may never see. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's... yeah. The the uh, you know the one part of the conversation when when the uh, the satellite stuff came up, they were. Um, or this guy was extremely careful about how he worded it. Uh, obviously, our space-based platforms, ISR stuff, and intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, those are probably the most uh, best-kept, tightly-held secrets. Uh, so I knew it was something not to particularly push on. Uh, I, I am aware of the open-source stuff uh, as far as satellite platforms, namely stuff that's, that's geared towards uh, missile, uh, you know, missile launch detection, uh, you know, that kind of thing, uh, yeah. SBIRs and, and things like that. Uh, but uh, it was something I knew kind of not to really push too much on, uh, but it was, it, was, it was a surprise and it, it wasn't a surprise. And there was also, and I don't remember the exact, I'd have to go back and look at my notes, but there was also reference to pushback from the DOD to try and put this stuff not back in the can. I don't remember exactly how, how it was uh, uh, put, but it was, it was basically an inference to do what they could to push back on the congressional efforts to get this out in the open and yeah, wrestle absolutely. it away from the DOD. I mean, there's no surprise there to hear about pushback. I think that's just a given with this subject, you know, looking back over the decades and the many decades. So, you know, coming from this political background of yourself, how does it feel to see something uh, become such a big bipartisan effort? You know, because there's not that much from my understanding in the US that kind of brings the two sides together. Is that something that you were surprised about? Is it is it good? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, obviously, you, the primarily what I do comment about on, on the Good Trouble show is mostly political commentary. Mm. And 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 uh, politics in in America is extremely uh, tribalistic, and uh, it's it's kind of been heading that way for a very long time. Uh, but there, it's it it in many ways it's surprising, but in, in some in some it's not. I think that I th I think that when you know so so people that sit on these. You know, Senate Armed uh, you know, Senate, uh, you know, Senate Intelligence Committees, Armed Services Committees, all that, all those sort of uh, things that deal with the nation's uh, national defense. These folks are cleared to be able to see this intelligence product, and obviously, some of this, uh, as as many people have talked about, uh, could very well be uh, surveillance by China or Russia. Uh, but as I, as people like Lou Elizondo and others have spoken about, these same vehicles have been observed going back all the way to World War II when yeah. there was no such thing as jet propulsion. Uh, so when these folks, I think, see this stuff, it's, it's very clear that it's uh, not made by human hands. Uh, Repu uh, Republican Representative uh, Tim Burchette has, has spoken about that. And I, so I think, I think in general that I would say Congress is probably a bit perturbed by being kept in the dark. Uh, and I think probably more perturbed too that, that the Pentagon seems to, or an element of the Pentagon has seemed to really want to bury their head about this when it's clearly a national security 
risk. I think it was Senator Kirsten Gillibrand had, had stated if if you have some submarine that's you know, that's gone way up into the Potomac and conducting surveillance, you know, it's you don't want to just go oh yeah whatever and go about your business. You want to find out why it's there, uh, what it's doing, what it wants, what it's what intelligence it's trying to collect, what its capabilities are, what its in, intent uh, is. And, uh, and you know, at the end of the day, while I may disagree with my Republican uh, friends, I know at the end of the day, they love this country as much as I do. You know, we may just differ on, on policy. So really in many ways, it's, it's no surprise that this is a big deal and, uh, and that they're taking it seriously. And, and my hope is that it will continue to be a bipartisan issue as it should be, <clears throat> excuse me, and which is why the way, why by the way, uh, when I do shows or message on the UAP topic, I'm very apolitical about it because it 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 should be uh, apolitical and it, sh it it should remain that way. I completely agree, and I think you do it absolutely fantastically. So, uh, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we're talking about pushback and different sides and that. There's regularly there's chatter on UFO Twitter by by certain naysayers, let's say. Um, and I, I don't normally, <laughs> I don't usually like to highlight any kind of drama or negativity. But sure, there's a there are the certain naysayers that say that Congress has just been duped by a bunch of UFO activists on UFO Twitter. What can you say to that? You know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking to, you're talking about a, a Green Street and Mick West. Who, by the way, for the longest time, I referred to him as Dick West. It was not a. It was totally by accident. It's uh, my ADD at, at, in full effect. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I, 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 these, you know, the thing you have to understand these these congressional staffers, they all, especially if if someone is a, uh, a senator's national security advisor, they're they are going to see the same product. They're going to have TSSEI clearance. Not all of yeah. them are going to have that, but they they have to have these clearances in order to discuss security matters, intelligence matters with, with their lawmakers in order to, uh, in order to advise them. So I, I believe it was uh, Mick West that had said something, or maybe it was the other you know, Green Street guy, uh, about that you know, just kind of dumb staffers that, that know nothing. And that, that is the farthest thing from the truth. The, these young staffers, they, they're overworked, they're underpaid, and uh, and, and and they are not going to let. Let's say you're Lou Elizondo, and you're initially going to go talk to a staffer, who's then going to brief the senator, and then sure. then make that connection. They're they're not. These people aren't just going to waste their boss's time, uh, a senator or a congressman, with an issue that's that's frivolous, and. Uh, and so I, I think I think that's really kind of a, a straw man's argument that that these these uh, these staffers that work so hard for these these folks on Capitol Hill that that they're just it's it's all fluff. It, it it makes absolutely no sense. And and the other thing too, all of this stuff, you're not going to have any particular lawmaker that's that's going to a do something on a bipartisan level that they're going to stick their ass on the line and walk across the aisle and say hey you know there's this UAP subject uh and uh, it may just be a bunch of baloney and and nothing happens but but 
it's it's clear it's it's a serious subject. It's serious enough for them to to produce legislation on it that became law to do so in a bipartisan sense. Um, you know, if this were something that were just something you know, that the people on the left were into, and the Republican side wanted to make hay of, that would most likely happen in today's tribalistic uh, environment. But I think that in and of itself tells you uh, to a great deal the seriousness and the awareness on both sides of the aisle, the, the, the people in Congress that are able to view the product and, and receive these briefings, that this is a really big deal and it is a national security problem. And it's, it's, uh, this is something that it's, it's high time that, that they need to come clean about uh, or spill the beans on, on why this has been kept under wraps for, you know, for such a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I've had a very similar conversation with a few friends about the importance of staffers when it comes to to this subject. You know, it's they're not just there as minions, let's say. Uh, they are a vital part of this and they, you know, can get this issue up to the to the people that it needs to go to. So, you know, I, I've been been taught and told about US politics a lot in the last couple of years and that, that these staffers are genuinely vital and very important pieces of the puzzle. So I appreciate what you said there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, you know, and going back to that, to that, uh, that uh, conference call that I had, these folks mm. knew what they were talking about. This, this wasn't some, some uh, guy fresh out of college. Uh, and uh, they were very well versed on the subject. They were very aware of the, the, the politics at play with the DOD and, uh, and of course, very aware of the reality that this, what we're talking about, uh, is not Russia or China or or seagulls. Uh, uh, that it's it's a very it's a very real thing, yeah. and um, it, it, there was nothing that I asked that they weren't able to answer in a very uh, informed, uh, quick way. They were very briefed on on what was going on with the subject. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And another thing I suppose that's related to this is the National Defense Authorization Act. Over the last few years, we've seen UAP-related language in in the the act that's been signed into law every year. And it almost seems like each year that goes by, it's more advanced, developed language that really is trying to pinpoint where we can get this information to be able to bring it out or, or at least let Congress understand some historical significance of what's been happening behind the scenes. So... You know, I'd love to know your thoughts on the NDAA and especially this one that just passed in December of 2022, because we're now having this word whistleblowers thrown in there, you know, whether that's in the act or whether that's just kind of this buzzword that's flying around UFO Twitter. But I'd love you to hear your views on the NDAA, but also this language that we're now seeing. Uh, The I mean, I I think this is really significant. Uh, When I interviewed Robert Salas, that was the first time I had ever heard of these non-disclosure agreements. Excuse me. And not everybody, from what I understand, has been required to sign them. But but he was, for instance. It was a, um, I forgot exactly the details, but he had heard someone else speak about his incident at Momstrom, and therefore he assumed that it was okay for him to to speak about it. But the, you know, the, uh, excuse me, you know the thing to understand with with um, these folks, and you know, and I have family that that uh, has served and continued to serve in the military. 
cla classification, you know, when, when you have a, a clearance, that, that in many ways is, is gold to these people. Uh, so if there's a huge amount of money that's, that's spent on giving someone or, or someone obtaining a, a top secret or TSSCI clearance, the maintaining of it, it's a it, it costs a lot of money to do that. And that is also that person's golden ticket for when they decide to exit the military, retire from the military and go into the private contracting world. If, if they are holding that clearance or, or a company is holding that clearance for them, that is what guarantees their, um, their employability, their future employability. Yeah. So there's, there's that, that aspect of it. Um, so if, if you, if you signed a non-disclosure agreement and you're involved in a historical UAP legacy program and you're threatened with, uh, if you break that, that, uh, secrecy oath with losing your secrecy or your, uh, your clearance, that's, that's going to affect how you're going to be able to put food on the table. Uh, not to mention the other aspects of it, uh, such as uh, time in Leavenworth prison, $10,000 fine, loss of retirement. So these, these secrecy agreements are, are significant. Yeah. And from what Robert Salas had, had, had shared, that that was actually fairly common with anyone in the, in the, uh, in the, in the nuclear ICBM world that had these, had these uh, incidents happen where, where their missiles were shut down that, that almost nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, they had to sign a secrecy uh, agreement. These folks are not going to break it, obviously, because of the legal jeopardy that they would put themselves in. So the, the whistleblower protection in the NDAA, I think, is significant. Again, I'm not an expert on this. There are people much more, sure. uh, much more informed about this than I am. But it seems to me that 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 is a, a really significant step forward that will allow people, um, you know, for instance, what I understand is Bob, Bob Salas has been called to testify in front of Arrow. Now, yeah. as I think everyone here probably knows, part of that's the, the whistleblower protection doesn't mean you can go and testify in front of Arrow or testify to their, to their Senator or Congressman and then go, and then go chat about it to, to the New York Times, uh, obviously wouldn't be Julian Barnes, but uh, but uh, <laughs> but you know maybe somebody else at the New York Times, uh, Leslie Keen or uh, or Ralph Blumenthal, but um, but I yeah I, my understanding is is that it it is significant, uh, and I mentioned this I, I think in a tweet. Uh, in addition to the political contacts, it's also that that we've developed uh, since since doing this we've also developed contacts with folks that are involved in this disclosure process in mm. in DC and uh, and that was uh, one of the bits of news i think it was week week or week before last that we broke was that people this month were going and testifying directly to uh, the aero director Sean Kirkpatrick people that were involved in these legacy UAP programs and so you know so that's 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 pretty significant news that that it's opened the door up that people that were involved in these programs feel compelled, which I'm glad they are. Uh, obviously, yeah, yeah. they're doing us a great risk to go and 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 talk to people in Washington because obviously this has been hidden from a, a great number of people in D.C. Uh, and especially Congress about what's been going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I just brought up the tweet there that, you know, that says that you can conf confirm from a source directly about, about what you just mentioned, that people are coming to testify in front of uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick. Um, 
One thing that I have to ask about, and this is something that comes up with me all the time, I'm lucky enough to have sources in various places when it comes to UFOs and UAP, but a lot of people seem to have a problem with sources. What is your kind of response to that? Because, you know, I've built source trust and I respect source anonymity and source protection in general. So what, what do, sure. you, do you ever get any pushback on that? Like, you've got to name oh, names, sure. you've got to divulge, like. Yeah, I, I think, and, and, and I can understand that skepticism. Uh, yeah. the, way I, the way I look at it is I'm, I'm a messenger. I'm putting out information. Uh, you can either choose to believe it or choose not to. I'm not here to convince you one way or the other. You, you, uh, you decide, the viewer decides what they want to take and what they want to set aside. Um, as, far, you know, as far as sources go, you know, people in, in, that are involved in this stuff in D.C., they often, they, they, can't, they can't speak about it officially. If, if they're a, a staffer uh, for a, a congressman, that person, unless they've been specifically authorized to, to speak on behalf of that senator, they're not going to do it. So they may, uh, it's going to be off the record. So they'll, they'll, they'll say, okay, you, you, you can't say where this, this is coming from, but this is, this is what is going on behind the scenes. Now, the onus is on people like myself or yourself to, to vet those sources. Obviously, you don't want to be talking sure. to somebody that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about uh, yeah. and, and repeating that information because then it, it has no value. But, but anonymous sources, I mean, that's, that's been something that's been part and parcel of, of, of this sort of thing for a very long time. I mean, if you go all the way back to Watergate, uh, Deep Throat was the anonymous uh, source uh, to the Washington Post. And I think it wasn't until like 30 years later that that, that source was finally revealed to, to be who, uh, to be the, I don't know who it was, I don't recall, but, uh, but that's just kind of the way, uh, that's just kind of the way it works. And I know, I think it was a Jeremy Corbell spoke about this a while back that, uh, that the way to be trusted with information is to be trustworthy. So yeah. if somebody that's sitting, a staffer in Congress that deals with national security issues is telling you something about UAP and saying, okay, you can talk about this, but you can't talk about this. And all of this is off the record. You respect that. Uh, because Absolutely. the minute you burn that, burn that source, a, that person could lose their job. They could lose their security clearance. Uh, and it's just not the right thing to do. Uh, so building building up that building up that trust takes a while. And as Jeremy Corbell said, that you know you gain trust by being trust trustworthy. But um, my hope, uh, and I do think that that will be the case, is that you will hopefully in twenty twenty three see more politicians. Uh, be a little bit more upfront about all of this. Tim Burchette pointed out, which is very, very true, that if if you're a congressman or senator and you go and you view this ISR product, you you that senator or congressman, they legally cannot talk about that. Uh, so it, it doesn't matter that they're in Congress and they've been elected, you know, elected to that office. If if it's classified material, they can't talk about that. Uh, so, so the I think in many ways the staffers tend to be the vehicle to get some of this information out without 
obviously crossing a line that is going to legally jeopardize uh, their well-being uh, as well. No, absolutely. Completely agree. I, I like the out, uh, the outlook that you've got. And, you know, like I said, I've got sources who have some have become friends, some are just there if I need them, let's say. And, you know, I've tried to wrangle information out of them. I've thought of every little thing I can. And every single one of them respects their TSSCI clearance. They 100%. are patriots to the, you know, to the core. And I can do nothing but respect that. And, you know, totally. as much as I want to be, uh, I want to be a messenger and bring forth all the juicy UAP information at the same time, I would not expect anybody to put their livelihood, their family or anything in their lives at risk for me and, and that. So completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you really hit the nail on the head. Uh, all of these folks, uh, we all love our country. And uh, I would certainly never divulge anything that would jeopardize the national security of the United States. or uh, and, and these folks wouldn't either. I mean, there are oftentimes when I do ask questions and they'll just say, I, I can't talk about that. And, uh, and I don't push because I know that that question is pushing the line a little bit further than they're comfortable uh, talking about. But, but that is how all of this, how at present all of this stuff is entering the sort of public conversation. And I, I do hope it changes because I think, I think until that happens, there will be the, the naysayers that will be skeptical about what I may present or what someone else may present. And that just, that just, uh, that just comes it just comes with the territory, uh, frankly. Um, but the you know going back to that original call, it was very clear that that it it was a bipartisan issue, and uh, and I th I think that really speaks to the seriousness of the subject, and that it's it is time to have a conversation with the American people about this stuff. And if if you have something that is this bipartisan and in, in United States politics, I think that that tells you quite a bit about the gravitas of, of the subject. I like the way you put that. Absolutely. And, uh, and like we, you mentioned earlier, you, you're quite new to this and you've jumped in quite quickly. But from my outside perspective, looking into to the work that you've been doing and the content, you've really, in my opinion, grasped onto the right people, the right aspects and, and that. So I'm really looking forward to what, what you've got coming up. Is there anything or any interviews that you have in mind or that you have coming up that you're, you're able to, to divulge? Not, uh, not at the, uh, not at the moment, actually. I mean, uh, it's so uh, kind of been sidetracked with some other stuff, but, uh, but I, you know, I certainly, uh, certainly, uh, hope, uh, that, uh, some stuff that we're working on will, will, uh, will come to fruition. I, I, I'm hopeful that 2023 is, is going to, uh, you know, is, is going to reveal, bring some new, some significant news, uh, uh, to this whole subject. You know, the other thing I, I want to touch on too is that we really, I think as a nation, as a, you know, as a, as a species, owe a huge debt of gratitude to these folks that have really weathered the arrows and brought this subject forward. People like Lou Elizondo, uh, uh, Chris Mellon, uh, Chris Sharp, uh, who I think is doing treating uh, at, at the Liberation Time, the journalist uh, Chris Sharp is treating this with the uh, with the journalistic rigor of of the uh, the journalists that that worked on Watergate. There there are a lot of people that are are standing up to the criticism and the shame. Um, you know, I was listening to uh, Dr. Gary Nolan, who I'm a freaking huge fan of. Uh, 
I think he's one of the most well thought, well, well spoken individuals uh, on this subject. Um, and I always recommend anyone that's new to the subject to, to listen to some of the things that, that he's, he's talked about on, on various, various podcasts. Um, but one of the things he, he touched on recently in a, in a, in, in someone's podcast, I don't remember where or which one, but the, they're really the, the shame element uh, is something that is, is something that's been instilled in us since we were a little kid. You know, you do something bad, you know, your parents say, shame on you. And it's, it's such a, a visceral emotion. And what better way to control the conversation on this, on this subject than to, uh, than to shame, shame somebody about it. And you saw this going all the way back really beginning, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s uh, with, uh, with what went on with the government. If, if, uh, you know, if you thought you saw something, you must have a tinfoil hat on or, or uh, swamp gas or, or something like that. Uh, any, any number of, of sort of excuses that, that, you know, you go, oh, you know, maybe I, maybe I was seeing something. And you begin, you begin to self-doubt. And I think that this whole use of shame, especially in the debunker community, uh, I, I and and that you know I can understand people being a healthy skeptic. Uh, everyone should be. Uh, you know, don't believe everything I say or anyone says for them. You should sure. always have a a, yeah. a a a a a healthy skepticism. But I think I think it 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 becomes a different thing when. You're a debunker that uh, that is is really how should I put this? Really, kind of the un, the under the underpinnings of it is by shaming the conversation. So, as opposed to saying, uh, "Okay, uh, we're going to have this UAP conference in this in this tiny country that happens to be uh, a member of the UN," um, you know. So, what if they're a tiny country? Let's Let's have this conference. Let's let's find out what what the science, what the evidence is going to be, rather than saying, "Oh, this is a tiny country." This tells you that the topic is 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 irrelevant. And I, I think you've seen that too, going all the way up to to people like Neil De, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I understand seems to be changing his tune. But you go back and you 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 read the tweets and the comments uh, by Tyson or um, or. Uh, 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 Dick West or, or Green Street or any of these guys, and and you, you know you really you really there doesn't seem to be a healthy skepticism. It seems to be more of an agenda to to uh, derail taking this thing seriously. So I, I think I, I be be healthily skeptical, but don't do, you know don't try to bury the conversation in shame and. Um, and going back again, uh, you know, to kind of my interest in the subject, I had never had anything happen in my entire life. I'm 54 years old sorry, until I started. I just, really yes, sorry, sir. can I just cut you off? I've I'm literally got to take a bathroom break. I'm so yeah, sorry. yeah, no problem. I'm just making a note. I I was like, don't don't cut him off, don't cut him off. But I had, no, an, extra, I had an extra glass of wine before because I thought we weren't coming on. <laughs> um, I've made a note of the time to edit. Bear with me. I'm so sorry. No, no, no apology necessary. <coughs> Man, 
Right. Thank you for that. Sorry. Am I get, sorry. am I get am I too rambly? I'm I'm not used to the no. being the one talking. So I love it. I honestly this is the best thing that I could have hoped for because I'm I keep looking at the clock and I'm like, yes, we've hit this like we hit 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. I was just like, this is brilliant. This is absolutely fantastic. Um the, the one thing I was gonna say is uh, we mentioned before about how comfortable you were talking about your own experience. And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. It might be best not to talk about it because the tone of this conversation has been really serious and really. Mm-hmm. Like, this is one of my this is one of my favorite interviews I've done in a while. And I don't oh, want right. anybody. Yeah. I don't want anybody to see this. And then at the end, you talk about your experience, and they go, "There it is. He's just a, a kooky experiencer." Because that's probably why before... Lou doesn't talk about his stuff or or any exactly of these guys. why that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that I makes hear sense. that a lot. Um, yeah, you I know mean, what. You... Yeah, I won't. I won't touch on that. You know what? I will. Uh, I do want to touch on Julian Barnes and Hallman Jenkins. That is that the Wall Street Journal guy. Yeah, yeah. That was next on my list. Okay, cool. Do you want to? Uh, had... Is there a good edit point that you can get out of this last conversation, or do you need That's me to what, pick? When you up? I stopped you, when I did, it's because I found a good edit point, and I had to come okay. in with them because I had a good edit point. So. Uh, if I if I do a few taps on my mic, it'll give me a, a jolt on the editing suite. And I, do you want to come in on this? Uh, how do you want me to to lead into it? Actually, I'll come in and say uh, I'll talk about pushback in the media, and then lead into Julian Barnes, New York Times. Okay. Another thing that I noticed um, towards the end of last year, primarily around the time when we were expecting to see the UAP. A report release on October 31st. But what we did see were these articles coming from the New York Times, Julian Barnes, and we saw them coming from the Wall Street Journal that almost seemed like they were premeditated to come out at this time. But there was a serious pushback and real negativity around the UAP subject. And I'd just like to hear your opinions on those, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, <laughs> I definitely have an opinion opinion on that. Um, uh, so, so, uh, Julian Barnes of the New York Times. So he he has a history of trying to poison poison the well on this stuff, and um, and this this goes back to uh, what Dr. Nolan Gary Nolan was touching on as as far as the the shame aspect. Um, <coughs> actually, I'm going <coughs> to cough and pick that up again. <coughs> Hold on. Do you want to set that up again? Yeah, absolutely. I've just made a note of the time. Now, towards the end of 2022, we were expecting the uh, UAP report to come out from the uh, ODNI around October 31st, which we didn't get. But funnily enough, around that time, what we did see were a couple of articles that really stood out um, from a negative angle. One from Julian Barnes at the New York Times and the other one from the Wall Street Journal. Um, And I just, you know, felt that that was kind of premeditated, like it was meant to come out at that time to really push back on the subject. And I'd really love to to hear your opinions on those. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm not fans of either of them. Uh, And I I think that it was, in my view, a clearly coordinated effort. Um, I don't know who from... Uh, 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 what was the uh, the department that Lou used to work for, uh, ODNII or something like that? I'm, uh, OUSDI. I, OUSDI, yeah. We know the, go- the government loves all these acronyms. I am sure, I, am, I don't have firsthand knowledge of this at all. No one has ever said anything to me, but I think it is pretty clear 
that this was some kind of coordinated effort. And I believe uh, it's either uh, Jenkins or um, or uh, uh, the other guy. Um, Julian Barnes? Julian Barnes, yes. Uh, uh, worked with each other or, or at the same publication, either Wall Street Journal or New York Times. Who knows? I mean, purely it's all hypothetical there. But it... It, this all touches back on what Dr. Gary Nolan said of this whole thing of um, of using shame to control the narrative. Uh, Hallman Jenkins, who I like to call Jackass Jenkins, uh, that's just <laughs> me. Uh, you know, he in that in I think it was a, a, an article uh, shortly after the 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 report was supposed to come out. He said something about. I forgot what the exact headline was, but it was something about that the real national security threat are the the UAP crowd, or I forgot how how he put it. I mean, you you read these things. You know, first of all, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times in the United States that carries a lot of weight in the political world. Everybody reads that stuff. So if you are someone in the DOD and you see this train heading down the track and you're looking for ways to derail it or slow it down or, or, or let's just say, so doubt uh, in the minds of lawmakers, what better way to do it or better yet, so doubt in the constituents who elected these folks and for the constituents to go, oh, hey, why are these guys spending money on this whole UFO thing? What better way to do that than to enlist the guy that is your national security correspondent, uh, 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 Julian Barnes, for instance, in the New York Times, to go to him and say, okay, look, we've given you, uh, you know, I've really helped you out with these stories on Afghanistan or, or whatever. Now it's time for you to scratch my back. Uh, this is what, what we would love for you to say, hint, hint, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, about this topic. Um, Hallman Jenkins, I think, is on a different level of jackassery, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know what the hell is wrong with that guy. Uh, but uh, just the, the spewing of, of what comes out of these folks is, I, and again, I'm no journalist, but I think if I were the editor of the New York Times and the Washington Post, I would, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, I personally would be embarrassed uh, as an editor, to be putting forth uh, that kind of junk journalism. Uh, you know, a good example with the New York Times, uh, Ralph Blumenthal, uh, uh, Leslie Keene, and uh, Helene, uh, Helene Cooper. Helene Cooper uh, from what I understand, when when they when they provided or when they came up with with that bombshell story in, in 2017 in the New York Times, they had to show backup. They had to. Um, provide sources to the editor in order for this article to fly. Uh, Julian Barnes, uh, he, there was none of that in, in, uh, in that article that was clearly meant, when you read that thing, it's obvious that, that, uh, that he thought that, this, that the UAP report was going to come out in the next day or two, which, by the way, he did the exact same kind of uh, uh, dick move, uh, to be honest, uh, uh, with uh, with the with the previous one as well. So um, it, it, so in this last instance, he quoted anonymous Pentagon sources. So my question to the editor of the New York Times is: 
why is that okay for him to do that and quote anonymous sources and present bunk, uh, bunk journalism, uh, whereas Leslie Keen and you know you you the, uh, you as the editor of the New York Times, why were you holding, uh, or, or as a publication, why were you holding them to a different standard than Julian Barnes? Uh, I I think it's it's uh, in my opinion it's it's a a a a clear cut effort to try and derail this thing as much as they can as uh, as a as a publication <clears throat> excuse me and then on the on the other side of the coin you you have uh, I'm going to leave names out here but uh, uh, Mark von uh, Renenkamp and um, I, I don't like naming names because obviously I leave, leave people out uh, or as I spoke about Chris Sharp who who are approaching this in a very ethical in a very ethical way from a journalistic point of view. Uh, it's, they're running rings around uh, uh, Hallman Jenkins and Julian Barnes. And frankly, if I were them, I would be embarrassed about what they've put out. Yeah. I clearly I have some pretty strong feelings about, about, uh, about this. I understand. And I mean, that goes from both sides and, you know, we, we, we can't please everybody. We, we follow our own paths and that. Um, uh, but I appreciate the comments and, and the insight that you gave there. Um, well, so let me just, just add this. Sure. Too. You know, obviously um, the power of the media uh, is, is it's, it's enormous in, in, in people's thinking. And, and we've, we've seen that the power of social media and there are, there are a lot of people uh, in the world that you can tell them something is a certain way. Uh, if you're a um, Fox News or New York Times or, or whatever, and they're going to take it as a gospel. I mean, it's the same thing with with a lot of politicians. Uh, President Joe Biden, who I love, he'll say this is how things are, and there are going to be people that are going to go, okay, that's it. Uh, so words have power and when you attack a subject with the veracity that that these uh, Jenkins and uh, Barnes have done, you know, really does a disservice. And again, going back to the debunkers, it's I feel it's very much in the in the same vein. Um, going all the way to to Neil deGrasse Tyson, they have a voice, and people listen to those voices. I think if if None of us know what the hell this thing is, uh, this phenomenon is. I think if anyone does, it tells you that they have the answers, take that with a grain of salt. No one knows what it is. So everyone should be asking questions. No one should be poisoning the well, encouraging people not to ask questions. I completely agree. Unfortunately, you know, it's not that black and white in this community. Right. We, we, get accused of being believers purely because we're not ready to be, you know, complete debunkers and, and take a certain sure. road or a certain narrative and, and that, but you know, I'm in it for the long run. I'm here till the end and, 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 and that's <laughs> it. That. You know, right, so right. listen, I appreciate, I appreciate everything we've talked about, but one, one thing I'd really like to end on just, just to lighten it up a little bit is in your time here and you've talked to a few different people and spoken about different cases, is there a case that really stands out for you as one that, you know, would be your, your top case? Oh, wow. That's uh that's a, that's a really good question. I have to think about that. I mean, it is a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, 
I think it would. Uh, I I think it would probably have to be the 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 Tic Tac case. Okay. Uh, you know, you you know, you had Fravor uh, 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 talk about it on uh, on sixty Minutes, and then and then you had uh, uh, his uh, wingman. I'm bad with names. I'm blanking on her name. Um, Alex Dietrich. Yeah, Alex Dietrich. Uh, back it up, and um, you know, and the thing I want to, I think I would like to 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 end on is the people that that serve our country, that protect our country, that our government has invested millions upon millions of dollars into their training, our naval aviators, our, our, uh, our airmen, all of these folks that our government has dumped huge amounts of, of capital into to train these people to operate some of our most expensive military machines for someone like Mick West to say, oh, they're just seeing a seagull. You know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on. So, I yeah, I mean, these, these folks, they know what they're looking at. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Matt, I, I really appreciate uh, the conversation. You've you've been really, really a joy to talk to. Um, You're very welcome. I cannot Likewise. thank you enough. Um, okay, I hope let, I didn't let, ramble let, on too much. I love rambling. I love tangents. <laughs> so please, honestly, trust me, it was a great conversation. I'd cool. love to have you back. Uh, hopefully, you Absolutely. know, six months, 12 months down the line, we can have a whole new conversation about this subject moving forward. But, I but love for now, that. thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Okay, thanks. Cheers. Goodbye.